0: well again good morning we are near the end here of a sermon series we've been doing for some months and that is joseph joseph you meant it for evil god meant it for good genesis chapters 37 through 50 that has been if you want to use the The fancy schmancy word, that's been our exposition, Genesis chapters 37 through 50, Joseph, and again, if you will look with me as we read here in a moment, Genesis chapter 48, I want to read a little bit uh, to get a good feel, the day is Genesis 48 through 50, it'll be a bit of a flyover. We can't do every verse justice, of course. Genesis 48 through 50. And so I'll read beginning in uh, chapter 48, and then we'll also read a little bit in 49 and the beginning of 50. Again, it's good to see everyone. It's so encouraging to sing together this morning. Verse 1 of Genesis chapter 48. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and set up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty, appear to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and bless me, and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are, and the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers and in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padan to, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Now would you skip down with me please, to Genesis 49:28? Genesis chapter 49, 28, I wonder if you have a heading like I do in my Bible. My heading says this, Jacob's death and burial. So what are we reading about here? Jacob's death and burial. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with a blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. In the cave that is in the field at Machpelah, to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last And was gathered to his people. I keep reading through verse 3 here. Chapter 50. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Who's Israel? Israel's Jacob, right? Verse 3. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many days are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him 70 days this is the word of the lord thanks be to god let's bow in prayer together father we pray that you'd bless the reading of your word now our prayer as ever and as we have also already prayed this morning is that you would bless the preaching of your word Not according to human wisdom, not in any efforts of human eloquence, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. Bless the hearing of your word. Lord God, through the gospel, through Jesus Christ, change us and transform us. Lord, do what you only, you alone can do. Not by my voice, but by your voice through your word. We pray that you would speak to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The title of the sermon this morning I have labeled as the hand of providence. The hand of providence. And again, as I say, our text is Genesis 48 through 50. Friends, the Bible says, the Bible says, by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. That's from Hebrews 11, where we want to look in a minute. I also want to encourage you to keep your place in the book of Genesis. The Hand of Providence. Uh, There's something that's called uh, the Abstract of Principles. Uh, It is the founding, it's part of the founding documents of Southern Seminary in the 19th century, which started in Greenville, South Carolina, but then migrated after the Civil War and because of the Civil War to Louisville, Kentucky. And that confession of faith, called the abstract of principles, says this about providence. God from eternity decrees or permits all things that come to pass and perpetually upholds, directs, or, and governs all creatures and all events, yet so as not to destroy the free will and responsibility of intelligent creatures." a very short story about my favorite, Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was really, not to blow him up, he was, as you might know, he was truly the most popular preacher of the 19th century in London. What you may not know about Spurgeon is that he battled depression throughout his life. Here's what he said. Here's what today we would call although I think it was very different. In a helpful way, it was very different. We would call him a mega pastor. Very large congregation. But I would say healthy, not not perfect. Did you know he battled with depression most of his life? He said this, If God is in control, if His name is hallowed, then that means that He is in control of my depression. Fate is blind Providence has eyes. Fate is blind. Providence has eyes. That's what we're thinking about this morning. We've come actually to the verse that we've been using as the main thing for this whole series. And that verse, as we're going to see, is Genesis fifty twenty. Let me share with you one more thing about providence. And I know that this in one sense... Uh, could be hard to understand, but there's probably nothing more beautiful. There's probably no language more beautiful that if we can grasp it is really helpful. this This is from the Puritans, from the Westminster Confession of Faith hundreds of years ago, and this is what they said about providence. This is only the first little thing that they said. They said a lot of things about providence. But this is the first thing in the Westminster Confession of Faith. Notice this. Listen to this. God, the Creator of all things doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least. Why did I choose this tie this morning and not another? By His most wise and holy providence, according to His infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of His own will, To the praise of the glory of His wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. The hand of providence. I really could use your help. I want to flip back and forth for just a few minutes. Not long. Keep your place here in Genesis. Keep your place there. We're going to go back and forth for just a minute. Hebrews 11. Number one this morning. Hebrews 11. The second thing, the second thing this morning is going to be providence, okay? Providence. But before we get to the second thing, let's do the first thing, and that's Hebrews 11. Hopefully you kept your place there. Look at verse 22. Look at Hebrews 11:22. What does it say? By faith, Joseph... At the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Now look at that again. What does that verse say? What did he do? Well, it was by faith, at the end of his life, before he died, he made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Okay, so keep your place there. Let me show you this in Exodus. Or, I'm sorry, in Genesis. Let me show you this in Genesis. Genesis. Last chapter of Genesis. Turn with me. Look with me. Look at the Word of God. Please go with me. Genesis 50, 22. Genesis 50, 22. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, think about Hebrews 11:22. This is Genesis 50:24. "I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that He swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. Joseph didn't live during the time of the Exodus. He's predicting the Exodus. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. Do you see? So Joseph died. Being 110 years old, they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Genesis chapter 48. Genesis chapter 48, take note of this. Verse 8. Genesis 48, 8. We read verses 1-7 through earlier. What's the heading over this chapter? Jacob blesses Ephraim and Manasseh, right? Verse 8. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see... So Joseph brought them near to him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel, who's that? That's Jacob, said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph, chapter 48, verse 12, removed them from his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth and Joseph took them both. Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger. Uh Uh-oh. And his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. You may just want to mark that. Isn't that beautiful? The God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them, let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand, most people are what? I'm left-handed. Most people are not left-handed. Most people are right-handed. You put the right hand on the oldest when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's right hand, or he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father. Or how did he say that? Did, did he, was he gruff? No, no, not this. Or did he say very politely? No, not this way, my father. Since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son. I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brothers shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. My dear friends, God often chooses the weak things in this world those things that are despised. Verse 21, Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Hebrews 11, and then back. Finally to Genesis, Hebrews eleven, and then back finally to Genesis. What does Hebrews eleven twenty one say? I know you kept your place. Look at it. Hebrews eleven twenty one. By faith, Jacob or Israel, when dying, this is what we just read in Genesis forty eight eight through twenty two. Genesis 48, 8-22. through 22, When dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Look again at verse 22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. What is the key? What is the key in 22 and in 21? Our first heading our first heading is is Hebrews 11. What's the key? By faith, right? How does verse 21 begin? Jacob. By faith, Jacob. How does verse 22 begin? Joseph. By faith, Joseph. And of course you could look through this entire chapter and you see that repeated over and over again, by faith. By faith. By faith. Look with me at verse 6 of Hebrews 11. Verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God, that's you this morning, that's us, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. No, know, the Bible also says that anything that does not proceed from faith is what? Is sin. Romans. Anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. How's your conscience doing this morning? How's your conscience? There's a great hymn that we sing sometimes, also by the Gettys. You certainly don't have to turn there. The hymn is called By Faith. And it's based on this chapter that we sometimes call the Hall of Faith. Hebrews 11 and the Gettys and others write this, By faith we see the hand of God in the light of creation's grand design, in the lives of those who prove His faithfulness, who walk by faith and not by sight. We will stand as children of the promise. We will fix our eyes on Him, our soul's reward. Till the race is finished and the work is done, we'll walk by faith. And not by sight. By faith, the church was called to go in the power of the Spirit to the lost, to deliver captives and to preach good news in every corner of the earth. We will stand as children of the promise. We will fix our eyes on Him, our soul's reward. He is our soul's reward. It's not enough to be a theist. It's not enough to be a theist. And just simply to not be an atheist, I believe God exists. Do you also believe that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him? If you don't know the character of God, if you are not banking on the faithfulness of God, then you don't have true faith. But if you do, then you do have true faith. If you not only believe that He exists, but also that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him, then draw near all day long. All day long. By faith. By faith it says. Listen to me, crossway. Remember. Remember or understand for the first time that without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Know for the first time or remember. That without faith it is... I do not think, I do not think that Hebrews 11 is meant to be a trophy case. I think it is meant to be a trophy case of illustrations of Old Testament saints' faith. But I don't think it's meant to be a trophy case that we look at and we say, wow, would you look at that? Would you look at Abraham? Would you look at Jacob and Joseph? And then would you then would you look at me? Am I, am I even saved? No, I think one of the points is that Our faith, if we have true faith in the crucified and risen Messiah, if we today have true faith in the crucified and risen Lord Jesus, Christ Jesus, then our faith is really of the same nature. Not to mention, not to mention the new covenant and the superiority of the new covenant through the blood shed by Jesus Christ, which is also no doubt the blood shed for Old Testament saints but we have the full indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Again, I don't think it's meant to be like, maybe you go to Charlotte and you go to, I don't know, the NASCAR Hall of Fame and you say, man, would you look at that? That's an actual piece of Richard Petty's race car. And you just think, wow. Which I know is true of every one of you here this morning. No, no, no. I think Hebrews 11 is meant to say that the gift of faith when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is of the same nature as them. Listen, it is a faith that endures, that perseveres to the end. Without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For those who draw near to God must believe that He exists and and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. Do you believe that this morning? I ask you, examine yourself now. Is that what you believe? That God exists, and that he, rose Christ, he raised Christ Jesus from the dead, and that He is the rewarder. <laughs> so far from being a killjoy, He is the rewarder. He's the rewarder of those who seek Him by faith. Oh, we could linger here. We could linger here. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. I will not linger here, but Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. How about the end of Hebrews chapter 10? It's not as though, you know, if you don't have the faith of all of these Old Testament saints that you're a subpar Christian or you're not a Christian. This is the only type of faith there is. True faith endures to the end. Those who endure to the end will be saved because God keeps His people. And I just, I just want to tell you that we could go there, but we won't. The end of Hebrews chapter 10. Where does Hebrews 11 come from? It comes from the argument That the author, Paul, that Paul is building at the end of Hebrews chapter 10. Specifically the last five verses of Hebrews 10. Read it. It's by faith. And if your soul shrinks away, if your soul shrinks away, then God says, "I, I have no pleasure in him. I have no pleasure in the one whose soul shrinks away. Pursue the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing greater. Hey, there's football on today. Jesus Christ is better. The new covenant promises are enacted upon the death of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 8. Remember, beloved, without faith it is impossible to please Him. The second charge that I want to give to you this morning. Charge number two. Let us praise and worship the God of creation and providence. Let us praise and worship the God of creation and providence. Now I hope it was. I hope you see the benefit in going back and forth, and we're done with that. Genesis, Genesis. Let us praise and worship the God of creation and providence. Number one was Hebrews eleven. Number two is providence. Look at Genesis chapter fifty. The banner over this whole series has been Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. You see it? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. I think it's easy, perhaps, to kind of not give the due weight that we should give to that purpose clause. What do I mean when I say purpose clause? Why? Why did God ma- mean it for good? Well, ultimately, the end ball game is that many people would be kept alive. That many people would be, would be saved in, in, the, in the world at that time that many people in the world and many Egyptians and many people of the Israelites who were just in baby form, just becoming what we call the Israelites. Look at verse 20 again. Look at this. We need to think about the providence of God. Anybody, you know, you may not identify with Spurgeon. You may not say in that specific instance, I Struggle lifelong with depression. And if I think about the Bible and what the Bible teaches, therefore God must be over that. Or maybe that is somebody this morning. Or maybe it's another specific example. Oh, this is super practical. Notice what it says and what it does not say in 5020. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. What is it? What does it mean when it says God meant it for good? Look at the text. What is it? What is it when it says God meant it for good? My dear friends, it's the same thing as in the first phrase. The first phrase says, You meant evil against me. God meant blank for good. God meant what? The evil. So... We have to make sure we know what we're saying and what we're not saying here. So uh, many people would consider uh, John Piper's magnum opus to be his recent book on providence. Listen, listen. The text does not say, as for you, you meant evil for me, but God used it for good. It does not say, you meant evil, God used it for good. They meant their sinful acts. God meant their sinful acts. Are you listening to me? Their decisions were intended by them according to their sinful designs. But their decisions, their decisions, whose decisions? Joseph's brothers to try to kill him, to sell him into slavery. Their decisions were intended by God according to his saving designs. Do you see? It would be wrong. It would be to play fast and loose with the Word of God, which you can't do, you shouldn't do. That's not cool. It would be to play with the Word of God to say that this text is is teaching you meant it for evil, God used it for good. That's not what it says. Look at it. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Oh, this is a sweet, amazing story. Look at verse 15. This is under the heading of Providence. Look at verse 15 of Genesis chapter 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. See what's happening here? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Verse 18 His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, What? Do not fear. For am I in the place of God? As for you, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it, the evil, your evil, for good. Why? To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So, verse 21, so do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And the narrator, who's Moses, Moses says, by way of comment, he says, thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Notice. Beloved, notice verses 15 through 21. What is going on here? Well, boys and girls, what's going on here is that when Israel was alive, Jacob, when Israel was alive, he was, a, he was a commanding presence. Even though he became blind at the end of his life, even though he was feeble and frail and fragile, he was still the patriarch, right? He was an important commanding presence, when Israel has gone off the scene, you see verse 15, when he has died, then Joseph's brothers begin to think to themselves, why did they think this? Because maybe this is their natural de facto. This is what they would have done. I don't know that for sure. But Joseph's going to do to us what we would do to somebody else. I mean, after the way we treated him all those years ago, you remember the story, right? Genesis 37 through 50. I mean, they were malicious to their younger brother. They were malicious to him. And they're thinking, after the way we treated him, I mean, he, he's probably going to use his power because he has become really powerful in Egypt, second in command. There's no doubt he's going to use his power to get back at us. Daddy's gone. Daddy's gone. And now it's just Joseph who is the, uh, what's the... What's the guy in England who's like our president? I just forgot. He's the prime. Thank you. He's the prime minister of Egypt. Thank you for helping me in the sermon. Joseph's the prime minister. He's going to enact his revenge. They misunderstand God. They misunderstand the work of God in Joseph's life. The story tells in beautiful, beautiful chapter 15, or verse 15 through 21, Joseph weeps. He says, no, 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 you guys are so wrong. You're so wrong. I love you. I forgive you. He does not minimize their evil. It is not kind, it is not loving, it is not eternally good to anybody to minimize their evil. Well, everybody's doing it. There's sin rampant in the world. Yes, there's sin rampant in the world. But therefore, we do not say, it's not that bad. It's that bad. All sin is that bad because it's against God, because it's against a holy God. One sin against a holy God is worthy of you spending eternity apart from that holy God under that holy God's wrath in hell. So Joseph, what he does not do, is he does not say, listen to me, he doesn't say, it's okay guys, I forgive you. He says, you meant it for evil. He says, you were wrong. He says, I do not deny that what you did was wicked. What I do affirm, however. Joseph says, what I affirm, and what I have learned over all of these, what? 22 years, age 17 To 39, what I have learned, Joseph basically says, over 22 years of observing the providence of God in my life is that the sovereignty of God is not some abstract doctrine, but it's so practical and it's for the good of his church. It's for the good of his people. Do you see in verses 15 through 21, he says, no, 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 my brothers, I love you. You were wrong. God is in charge. God meant it for good. For the saving of many people. God used even me. Joseph says, God used me. He he humbled me. He humbled me and then he exalted me. And he has used me for the salvation in a sense of the world. Oh, how beautiful. How beautiful. I, I tend to think, I don't, I tend to think the brothers maybe invented this and put this on their father's lips hey, would you take this note to Joseph? What does the note say? The note says, Dear Joseph, Prime Minister of all of Egypt, would you please know that upon his death, our father said, would you please forgive your brothers? I mean, how convenient, right? Our father left this message, Joseph, right before he died. He said, make sure that... Maybe, maybe, maybe not. And then they double it up. They bow before him. Please, please, please. Mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. Oh, the debt that we have been forgiven. The debt that we have been forgiven. This is really important. Let me quote again. Please listen. The brothers were accountable, they needed forgiveness. And God planned and willed that their evil act come to pass. This is the providence of God over human sin. God planned and willed that their evil act come to pass. Yet in all of this, God did not sin or in any way defile His perfect holiness or diminish His perfect goodness. Did you hear what I just said? As I was quoting there, in all of this God did not sin. He did not diminish diminish in one iota his perfect holiness, his perfect goodness. But it would be unbiblical and even and even in one sense foolish for us to say, well, you know what this means is is that they did evil and then God semi scrambled to use it. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good, to bring about the salvation of many. Ultimately, ultimately, if we reject this, we reject the cross of Christ. Ultimately, if you reject this biblical teaching, you cannot have the cross. Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. So where are we, beloved? Where are we? Providence and Hebrews 11. First charge. First charge, remember that without faith it is impossible to please Him. Second charge, let us praise and worship the God of creation and providence. And then final and third charge. Third and final charge is Judah and the obedience of faith. Turn to Genesis 49. Judah and the obedience of faith. Crossway, friends who are gathered here today, look to Jesus who is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Genesis 49. Remember what I read to begin to begin the service today. One of the elders said to me, "Weep no more. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered." What was Genesis 48? What was Genesis 48? Jacob blessed Joseph's two sons, right? And he said, "Ephraim and Manasseh are now mine." they're my grandsons but they're now mine. Genesis 49 is mostly Jacob blessing all the rest of his sons. Okay? Genesis 49 is Jacob blessing all of his sons. Quickly, verse 1, Jacob called his sons and said, "Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come." So Jacob basically in the next 25 or so verses, he's going to based on their based on the character of his sons, and this uh, predictive prophecy, him seeing the future based on their character, and him, through God, seeing a bit of the future, he says, here's what's going to happen. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Question for you. Question. True or false? Based on verses 3 or 4, Jacob has forgiven and forgotten Reuben. True or False. Based on verses three and four, Jacob has forgiven and forgotten Reuben. Reuben, you're my firstborn, my might, and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. There's this old this, Jacob's like this old man, he's blind, and it's like he's giving a blessing to his firstborn Reuben, and he says, The blessing of the firstborn will be no blessing. And it's like at the end of verse 4, it's almost like he's got enough strength to say, he went up to my couch. That's Genesis 35, 22, by the way, when Reuben basically took one of his father's concubines. But what I want to show you is in verse 9, or verse 8. And all I'm simply saying, would you look to Jesus, who is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Genesis 49, verse 8. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? Genesis 49:10. Genesis 49, verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Until tribute comes to him. The picture in verse 10 is of him sitting on his regal throne. He's sitting on the throne and he's got this big scepter. It's leaning up against his shoulder. It's, it's, it's long. It's positioned down between his feet. Until tribute comes to him and to him shall be what? To him shall be what? The obedience of the peoples. By the way, that's Romans 1 and Romans 15. Romans 1 and Romans 15, the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Don't give me the Sunday school answer just yet. Who's this talking about? You Don't have to answer out loud. Okay, well, first it's talking about Judah. But in the Old Testament, who's it talking about? It's talking about King David. But in the New Testament, we have one that we call great David's greater son. Now give me the Sunday school answer. Give me the Sunday school answer. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. I tell you again, Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. The elder said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. That's Revelation chapter 5. That's the New Testament. The greatest descendant ever. The greatest descendant ever from Judah, from the tribe of Judah, is Messiah Jesus. David was a great descendant. This is fulfilled. Genesis 49, 8 through 12 is fulfilled in the Old Testament in David, but David doesn't hold a candle. There's no way. There's no way that what is said here, just take the text on its own terms. Take the text on its own terms. There's no way that said what is said right here is fully fulfilled in David. Not a chance. There's no way. He must have been speaking, Jacob, Israel before he died, must have been speaking of the end times. And the end times, my friend, have broken in upon us now. The end times have broken in on us now. That's why you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today. Look to Jesus Christ. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Or you could look at Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. He's what? He's from the tribe of Judah. And it all comes back to verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the people's. The beautiful thing about our Savior is that he fulfills all of these Old Testament manly robust prophecies of the lion of the tribe of Judah. And keep reading in Revelation 5, and he is the lamb who was slain. That's what was unexpected. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Yeah, let's get behind him. Yes, yes, yes. And he is the lamb who was slain. Therefore, he is worthy to open the scroll. Therefore, we can believe by His grace and be saved from the wrath of God. Because the wrath of God was poured out on the head of Jesus Christ on the cross for everyone who would ever believe. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ today. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Well, I just remind you that Acts chapter 7. What what, what was this story? Genesis 37 through 50. Man, it's 14 chapters. Hey, all you got to do is read Acts 7, 9 through 16. If you like an executive summary, there you go. Jesus Christ, the one who is greater than Joseph. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Jacob's words about Judah. We thank you if we read in Genesis 49 that the longest words were given to Joseph but the most important words were given to Judah and we thank you for his descendant King David and we thank you for King David's descendant who created King David the Lord Jesus Christ we thank you for the truth of your providence may we find comfort and rest in it help us not to react to it negatively, but to grow into it with joy. Let us praise and worship you, O God. You are the God of creation and providence. We praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.